Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, the podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they are not experts on. We're back after a two-week hiatus. Great shows in Melbourne. Thank you, everyone who came out. A lot of people after the show said that they are listeners of the podcast. So thank you very much. Uh, Very quickly, this podcast is sponsored by Crush Organic CBD Oil. That's Crush with a K. They've got a huge range of CBD oil products. Everyone's using CBD oil. I love it. It helps me sleep like a baby. I was always a very troubled sleeper, but uh, that has helped me dramatically. They've also got uh, pain cream. They've got CBD oil for pets. So go to crushorganics.com. Use the code NEIL for 40% off. And I will still have shows on every week in Sydney. And we're coming back every month to Melbourne. So the next ones are February uh, the first Sunday of February and the first Sunday of Melbourne. So if you, uh, sorry, <laughs> the first Sunday of February and uh, the first Sunday of March. There we go. Two weeks off. And look, I'm mumbling everything. So uh, if you missed out on the uh, previous Melbourne show, come to that one. And thank you again. All right. Jordan, how are you? I'm good. Just want to add to the Crush Organics thing. I concur. I have always been one of those people that slept at 2 a.m. in the morning and then got up at 10 like I was like some Pakistani mill worker. It was a terrible time to set your body clock to and that has helped me reset it. So that's incredible. Take the recommended dose. But it is a life changer. Really is. Make sure that you get that. Uh, in terms of what I, uh, how am I? Good. You look very sunburned. Just uh, finished filming an episode of Houseos with Paulie today, and you know what I noticed? You wait, 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 wait. Did you approach him to be on Houseos, or did he approach you? He approached me because he said he's got this current affairs character that he quotes said, "I was born to play." Okay. Uh, and I think the results speak for itself. I've watched enough. Yeah. I know the cadence. You know that Channel 9 speech that for some reason is extremely musical and could be interchangeable with anyone who learns how to speak it. Why do they all speak like that? The sort of person that would uh, not know many of your videos but would say, well, I'm all for free speech, but I think he takes things a bit too far. (laughs) If you haven't been uh, up to date with the mainstream media, Jordan, once again, controversy surrounding Jordan, this time it's not... It's not racism, it's uh, it's sexism. Yep. Racist, sexist, uh, transphobe. I've got to tick homophobe off the list. I think it's just because I'm too close to a homosexual. Apart from having sex with men, I'm into the skincare. I'm into the wussiness. I'm into the cattiness. Like, I am, I am with my gay brethren. I really am. So I don't think... I've got that kind of Milo Yiannopoulos pass on it, I suppose. You're not into the fitness... Yeah, I'm not, now not, like buff, yeah, yeah, massive. Yeah. They're jacked. I'm jealous. They are uh, uh, very fit men. And uh, look, three categories, isn't there? There's the fat, hairy ones. Yeah, the bears. The bears. There's the really fit ones, and then there's the twinks. I suppose I'm in the twink category, but I'm Ooh. too old to be one. But I used to be a twink. No, you're still. I think you're still a twink. <laughs> even even at your age, you got that baby face. I I was uh, thinking about the other day how the people were saying Dominic Perrette is is still in his thirties. I think he's thirty nine, and you're what thirty two. Yeah. The, you guys, he could be your dad. He could be. He could be. He has aged terribly. That's what seven kids does to you. 
Isn't it amazing? Like, you can see the weathered on your face. In fact, it's a miracle that he looks that young with seven kids. Mm. That's mm. Mormon levels of children. You, you don't have those children unless you're in the third world or you're a zealot. That, if you needed any more proof that that man is from the Opus Day, have a look at how many kids he has. He's a fertile man, isn't he? And the mum. Fuck, imagine pumping that many out. I suppose after three, it'd all be the same. You'd lose your traction. Yeah, I heard. I've got a, uh, a friend who's one of four, and she was saying that her mum, by the third or fourth, just had, had the birth standing up. And I think didn't even <laughs> barely needed the midwife. <laughs> she's she's German as well, so I'd imagine she'd be like, "Yeah, all done." <laughs> <laughs> How good is that? It sounds like that's what would happen to the human body. After a while, it'd mm-hmm. just be a hallway, an Arctic <laughs> triumph. <laughs> <laughs> How could it not? Your vagina would never be the same after that. In fact, if anyone has had a baby after it, be honest. What's it like down there now? Let us know. <laughs> really doing a lot to uh, get rid of these sexism accusations. <laughs> no, this is a, we're very curious about the anatomy post-birth. <laughs> I have heard the, the body changes entirely. The, uh, the, the hormonal makeup of women after, after they have kids changes dramatically. They're an entirely different person. I... I think my mum actually said that once. Just She was looking at one of those gossip magazines being like, all oh, these bitches after they have the, oh, the miracle body. Yeah, you can do that with plastic surgery. After it, it's just wrecked. It never goes back to the same. It's a pair. Ooh. I was like, whoa, that is one of the rawest things mum ever said. Did you feel guilty? <laughs> did, you, did you think, oh, no, I ruined my mum's anatomy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, dad. Well, I was just asking, why didn't you get the cesarean? I would rather the scar. I don't want to go through 36 hours of the worst pain imaginable. It's like putting your hand in that box in June, but it lasts not a couple of minutes, a day and a half. Yeah, it's a long time, hey. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What's the average labor time? Actually, I think some of them a mere 12 hours. I think some of them sometimes it's like two hours. It depends. Sometimes sometimes you're in it for like 60 hours. 60. Well, Jesus. I think actually mum's was getting close to two days. You were a tough one. Yeah. Tough cookie to crack. A stubborn one, hey? Yeah. <laughs> do you know how long you took? No, I mean, I, I do know I was a cesarean though, so. See, that's the way I, to do it. I don't it. know if, uh, I don't know how long those take. That's two minutes. Probably. It's just yeah, like yeah. cutting up a cow, isn't it? Just, <laughs> you calling my mum a cow, bro? <laughs> <laughs> What about your sister? Did she have a natural both? Birth no, that? both, both cesarean. See, I your mum's scar was there. I think well, you're not getting What's another scar, so who cares? Yeah, just reopen it. Yeah, I, I have heard that uh, the bacteria of uh, that line to the vagina. <laughs> Do not quote me on this. <laughs> Definitely two comedians who <laughs> are not experts here. But uh, I read a book where uh, something about the, like, the bacteria that you're exposed to when you when you first come out during a natural birth is really important and actually determines a lot of your gut bacteria for the rest of your life. And a cesarean birth can really screw that up because the first exposure to bacteria is usually the the midwife or just the hospital air. And they recommend uh, doing a stool test to see what your uh, gut bacteria is like. Do you think yours is bad? I mean, I I was a cesarean, I don't know. And they say, and that now if women do cesareans, they do a vaginal swab. 
afterwards to check it out. I think so. I think, but mm. again, for the, the uh, five female listeners, please uh, correct me if I got that wrong. I probably did. You should maybe look, check it out. But there is always that ad that was on a midday television of all those blue ball men running into your gut. Remember that with a really shit 3D animation? Oh, you're cool. It's not your cool. No, the other one, hey. The other one. But that rings a bell, doesn't it? That yeah. was on for years. Everyone's talking about gut bacteria now. Hey, um, Miss Love was talking about it in the last pod. It's important. Get your gut get your gut checked out. It's, get your gut right. It's weird that everybody like... Uh, I think there's probably a 20-year lag between hippies and just accepted mainstream health do you think hippies were care cared about their gut bacteria or were they more that's uh that kombucha shit they they hippies don't kombucha give a fuck about shit. anything except gut bacteria that's that and not taking vaccines that's all it is maybe in 20 years time everybody will realize the wisdom in them refusing to take pfizer but they really like, I, I swear this is a thing. There's always this lag. Like, green drinks, smoothies. Every, they were doing it in the fucking 70s, and then it just becomes cool. Yeah, true. Well, uh, well, we'll see. Time will tell. Time will we'll tell. see if we all die from um, Pfizer adverse effects. What a weird incentive for the people who didn't get vaccinated. They low-key want everyone else to have a hard time so they can... So they can Get Say, that nice yeah. little we hit told of you. serotonin. We told you. Weird incentive. Hey. So weird. Because we've been away for a while, we've got some shout outs and questions to catch up on. So uh let's start with let's start with a good old shout Jesus, out. We do, don't we? Yeah. So let's let's we've got two shout outs here. So uh alrighty. It's the first shout out. As the siren is going off in the background, welcome to the timing. Hood. All right. G'day, Neil. My name is Dre. I would love a shout out to my YouTube free weekly tarot page for each of signs of the zodiac. The page is Decker Tarot. So that's D E double K A Tarot. I give honest, down to earth interpretations of the cards, love, relationships, general life, weather, framed within the kinds of self help you guys discuss on your podcast. As a devotee, of the work you guys are doing, I would love to hear the page mentioned on the podcast. And the link is www.youtube.com slash C slash Decker Tarot. So that's D-E-K-K-A Tarot. Thanks so much for the mention. Good on you, Dre. So if you're interested in having a, a, a digital reading of your, of your Zodiac sign, I don't know how it works. I don't know. Do they get the cards out live? I don't know. But you'll have to go to the channel to check it out. That is a really cool basis for a YouTube channel, and I hope it blows up to its inevitable hundred thousand subs. Well, there you go, Dre. You got to you got to beat a hundred thousand. You have to, because I reckon you would be a king of that genre. You would be like Donkey Video Games, or I, I, I swear there would be a small community that would be very vicious. Like people that just watch other people be saying, I've got this giant Australian bush cockroach. You know, there's these real small devoted niches. I reckon you could really hone in on that. Yeah. Biggest tarot card reader in the world. Let's go, Dre. Yeah, Everyone sub to Dre. 000. Forget sub to PewDiePie. Sub <laughs> to Dre. <laughs> All right, next, uh, 
Next shout out coming at you. And by the way, if you want us to do a shout out, neilcohacker.com slash podcasts, $5 a month, all the money goes straight to charity. All right. Uh, we're going to give a shout out to uh, Zach's Adventure Vehicle Business from the Gold Coast, Horizon Adventure Co. Instagram, horizon underscore adventure dot co dot. We have a combi, ex-military Land Rover Defender, and a Suzuki Jimny. Thank you, guys. I love your work. The <laughs> second one sounds very unimpressive in comparison. Definitely the best. I love that. <laughs> you just slid that in there. We've got a combi. Oh, just this like kind of tank thing that yeah, can kill yeah. people. And a Suzuki Swift. Yeah, there you go. What's a Suzuki Jimny? What's that? Well, you'd have to go to his page to find out. Military Land Rover Defender. That sounds like... That's mad. Doesn't it? it? It's like some Warhammer 40k Death Viper or something. It's It's got such a vicious name. So if you're in the Gold Coast and you want to hire out a uh, Military Land Rover Defender, not just Military Land Rover, Military Land Rover Defender, as opposed to the... Like, is there a Military Land Rover Attacker? Assault unit. Does the Defender... Is the Defender just... I don't, anyway, I <laughs> Horizon just... Adventure Co. Horizon underscore adventure dot co on Instagram. Go and follow. Go and follow him as well. I'm curious about that Land Rover. I'll check it out in my own time. I will. Yes. Just to see how terrifying it is. I'm I'm keen to check that one out too. Now, uh, let's get into a question because we haven't done a question for a while. Mm-hmm. So, here's a question. That is from, a long uh, one. This, this is a long one, but let's do it. Epic question. So, this is from P. I'm sure, I don't think he cares if we say his name, but the default from now on, I'm not going to say anyone's name unless they say they're happy for me to say their name. Because, you know, a lot of people, oh no, I could get fired being mentioned on this podcast. Really? That's what they say, yeah. You Gen Zs need to harden the fuck up. You really do. I've noticed this about that. I thought that that was the salvation generation, but then I've realized, you know what it is? Our generation, the biggest goal in life for us was to become famous. Mm-hmm. Gen Z's worst fear is becoming famous because- a very different, very different experience of fame now than what it, it was. Yeah. You get away with a lot more. Our version of being famous was- looking up to the show Friends and thinking, wow, that'd be great, you know? Yeah. Their version of it is uh, someone drawing out Billie Eilish doing a Chinese accent and being like, oh, my God, this is very problematic. Having a that. microscope on everything that is said yeah. and done. I really understand the fear that I see in Gen Z's eyes now. They're constantly darting around like people in the Soviet Union have. When you see people that grew up in the SU, their eyes are constantly searching around. And I remember asking my Ukrainian model friend about it, and they said, they are looking around for cameras. Because it was a surveillance society. And so they had to be hyper aware of if anyone was spying on them at any time and if it was safe to talk openly. That's what Gen Z has now. Well, uh, our phone basically can record us. It does. We get an ad. We'll get an ad for Land Rover Defence. Soon enough. It is scary. Imagine if the ad is the actual Instagram page that we shouted out. That is really good AI. 
Well, it's at that case. point. It is at that point. Yeah, yeah. They they uh they pop up ads based on what you were talking about ten minutes ago. Very scary stuff. But let's get on to this uh this question. Uh, okay. My question is in regards to the ever widening political divide. Oh yeah, my favorite topic. There is a quote from a video game where two characters are discussing what they call true strength. In this discussion on character, in this discussion on character states the following. One, I think, yep, one character states the following. It is to surrender yourself, to make yourself a slave to a teaching or belief that makes it so that the belief will always rule you. Funnily enough, I believe that it is an apt quote that can be used to explain partially why each side is moving further away from each other. It seems that in discourse, if you say you are a socialist, you are forced to defend all the bad shit that has been done in the name of socialism. I personally have never decided to adopt any of these labels for this reason. I don't want to have to be stuck defending my team, so to speak. Additionally, it appears that these days people describe themselves with word vomit to let others know of their political views, i.e. anti-social, quasi-social democrat, (laughs) fortnightly anarcho-republican. This is hyperbole, but still illustrates the point. Not now, far it's from not, the truth. It, 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 I would not be surprised if someone described someone themselves would. as that. Now, onto the question, Neil and Jordan, do you believe that the widening of the political divide is due to people now placing their political beliefs slash team as an integral part of their identity? Yes. Furthermore, do you think the isolation created by the internet and breaking down of communities that we previously had, such as church, local football, football slash sports clubs, other local events can be partly to blame for the political beliefs becoming in- integral in so many people's view on their identity. Okay, that's the that's the question. Uh, I, I definitely think people have adopted a, a ideologies, not just political, uh, to be a major part of their identity, and an attack on that ideology or just a basic criticism of that ideology then feels like an attack on the self. And that's why people are so emotional, especially online, because when if someone is a socialist and someone's criticizing socialism, that feels like a personal attack. And so that's my brief uh, uh, answer to this. And I definitely think the breakdown of uh, traditional communities such as the church and uh, local gatherings of sorts has definitely contributed to it, but social media has uh, exacerbated the divide. This one's really interesting because... Because the topic I wanted to talk to is very related to this, actually, because I wanted to get into uh, gatekeeping of ideologies. And and this is very much related to that, so we're going to use this as a springboard into that. But, um, oh, by all means. Hmm. By all means. Hmm. Um an enlightened centrist. <laughs> um, on that note, I think that everybody always has... This is the interesting point about studying history, I suppose, is that you're always doomed to think that your context is distinctly unique to now the thing that is unique to now is the fact that we have social media Mm -hmm. i'm actually starting to think that if anything social media is making those tribal alliances less concrete than they used to be i'll give you a good example i've been reading i've been obsessed at the moment with uh 
the the Byzantine Empire, like the East Roman Empire, what happened after Rome fell, but the eastern half survived for another thousand years. Mm-hmm. They had four teams in there. There was a blue team, a red team, a green team. It was basically the high school house colors. When you say teams, is this did this determine their military or? No, this was, or... this was in the Hippodrome. So they were really into chariot racing. That oh, was okay. their soccer. Yeah. And there was four major teams. And senators would become patrons of these teams. Kind of like how sheikhs now become, you know, like owners of Manchester United or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like very rich people would pump money into this. They would also have all these streams of income coming into them. Uh, people would tithe to these teams. They would, mm-hmm. uh, there would be organized crime that would be with, uh, linked within these teams. There was all these streams of income going towards very simple things of they supported this chariot team. That was the thing that held them together. Yeah. They would have scuffles on the street killing each other in the hundreds, they would have to send in imperial soldiers to separate them. And also they would, the politicians would be constantly stoking these teams to work against them so that they could get votes in the Senate. Um, a really, really good example of how competitive and ideological these teams were. There was these walls that were impenetrable for a thousand years. They had to invent cannons to take uh, Constantinople, which was the capital. So for a thousand years, that stood. No one could go past it. Armies could just stand out the front and then they'd run out of food and then they'd have to go. There was an earthquake. The Huns, which were one of the most vicious, uh, you know, like beyond the wall tribes. Yeah. Huge, huge, massive numbers of vicious, deadly horsemen. Uh, while they were coming in and raiding the East and West and just making an absolute carnage of anywhere that they came, they came to the Theodosian Walls, Constantinople thought, because it was just the best defended city in the known world by a mile because it just had those walls there on the other side's ocean. So impenetrable. An earthquake happened. The walls crumbled. What happened then was that the military commander went into the Hippodrome and said, new contest, let's find out which of these teams will reign supreme. What you're going to do is I'm going to give you all a section of the wall and you are going to repair it as quickly as possible. Whoever wins it wins the glory of whatever. Just the same thing as like soccer teams. They went out, they were so competitive that they completely revamped the wall in a matter of a couple of months. These are walls that took decades and decades to build. They were able to completely repair them within the span of a few months because of how gung-ho they were into it. In fact, they reinforced these walls. They were stronger than they were before. And it was because of the vicious competition that they had with one another. While they were doing it on the walls, they'd be fighting amongst each other, hurling bricks at each other. They'd actually be sabotaging each other on the walls. The, The drive that was there between these teams was... So bitter and based off of nothing as well. A colour, really. Like, I'm sure that there was more meaning that they put to it, but really it was just worshipping a different chariot racer. Wow. Was the thing that happened. It makes you think that uh, the norm for human society is actually to be in some kind of uh, tribal conflict and to have an an ideology or a uh, or a religion or, a, or some form of... A, political ethos that motivates you to action and 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 hatred and competition if harnessed effectively can probably spur on the most uh uh 
enthused and uh, energetic elements of humanity. Because that's a perfect example of that. And Isn't it? It wasn't that long ago when uh, Catholics and Protestants were at war with each other, fighting in the streets. They still are in Ireland. Yeah. So maybe the norm is political division and tribal division. And we feel like this is a unique uh, environment that we're currently living in. But actually, what was abnormal was uh, the latter half of the 20th century, when at least Western society was reasonably united relative to what it had been previously. And to his point, the question asker's point about some of the... uh, Previous aspects of identity that people would have held on to. The church is a big one, but also just a national pride and patriotism. That's v- virtually gone for, for a lot of people, especially for Gen Z. I, 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 there, there are people who are still very proud to say be Australians, but... Uh, but is it to the same level? This is no. the interesting thing. Who would die for their country? Who would die for their country? In fact, in the past... People were patriotic to an emperor, essentially. Yeah. They'd die for the King of England. If they came from Australia, it wasn't even for Australia they were dying. Yeah, they'd die for the Commonwealth. Die for the Queen. Can you they imagine die for dying the queen. for the Queen? I could, I could maybe die for the Queen. I'm not dying for Charles. Yeah, I know. Fuck that That's guy. And I'm not dying like for William. Certainly fucking and not. definitely not Harry. I'll kill that guy. Yeah, I'm joining the other army yeah. to kill that man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's three generations and we're out. Like, I'll tolerate Charles. He does some good environmental work, but he's two little shits of a kid. They're not becoming philanthropists in their older age, are they? Their entire no. life revolves around causing drama to harvest money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm certainly not dying for Harry. Nor do I feel like dying for the Australian government. Uh, I would, I would maybe die for for values that I really uh, admire, and uh, in effect, that may be risking my life for the Australian government. But uh, I think um, this modern conception of tribalism has certainly filled the void that has come about uh, through the abdication of things like uh, national pride religious pride, or even just uh, pride in the family, but also the extended family, the clan. That's still a thing in many migrant communities. They've got a large extended family, a network of, of people that acts as a tribe. Mm. But uh, everyone else is quite atomized. And mm. so I think humans have a tribal instinct. They also have a spiritual slash religious instinct. And that void is being filled with uh, various modern ideologies. And the, the now the left and right culture war divide, people are on the cusp of willing to die for it. I think there would be people in America people that, do. that are going to die for it. People that do die for it. Yeah. Like, who's that guy? What's his name again? The guy that shot the black people that turned out to be white. Carl Rittenhouse, whatever his name is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that an amazing example of, and this is the whole thing that I'm talking about with all of these ideologies, smart people, smart, smart people harvest Mm. these identities 
just like with the blue team and the green team sure. in the Byzantium, there were smart senators that were orchestrating these teams in the cities, right? And that's what's happening there. When I saw that Kyle Rittenhouse thing, not that I looked too deeply into it, the, the immediate thing that stuck out to me is that was a culture war that was stoked by CNN and Fox News. That yeah. uh, tragedy happened and they were there feeding off it. They were feeding off the carnage afterwards. Yeah. It was completely constructed, completely stoked, and then stoked further after it happened. Yeah. And create chaos. Divide and conquer. Classic. It really is a divide and conquer strategy. Keep the eyeballs on the CNN anchors because they're not going to be on there for many more years. Well, I don't, they kind of just go in and out don't they like it just depends what's happening in the news everybody always expects that they're about to topple over and then all of a sudden they're getting six million eyeballs i suppose it's because trump was around but sure something's gonna happen or yeah i think that's it when you're in the news business it's really hard to Mm. shut down entirely you Mm. form into something else and that's i think something that definitely keeps them in business is that kind of harvesting of the ideologies yeah, go on. Go on. I'll d- well, I definitely can't help but feel that uh, there are people who may be uh, lacking significance in their life, have low self-worth slash self-esteem, and they latch on to various ideologies or identities that give them a cause, give them a purpose, give them meaning. I think that we've talked about this previous podcasts. When people uh, passionately support a sport team, their serotonin levels... And, and their testosterone will be determined based on whether that sport team either wins or loses. Mm. And you've talked about how uh, people who listen to this podcast are not fucked, whereas people who are more interested in politics mm. can be a bit fucked. Yes, they can. And I can't help but think that uh, there are people who may uh, be you know, discouraged at just day-to-day life or, or, or may not be in a good position in their life, may not be doing very well in their relationships or in their work. And as a result, they can just latch on to some form of uh, political identity and suddenly they're part of a, a team. They're fighting for something righteous. It, it, it absolves them of personal responsibility, which is why I don't like some, a lot of these modern ideologies say what you want about religion but it is a call to better yourself whereas a lot of the other modern ideologies it's just hey it's all external everything bad with the world is is in the other team Mm. is on the other side Mm, mm, it's not mm, to say i'm not i'm not saying everything is perfect on one side and everything isn't perfect on the other side or anything like that but uh i'll tell you what actually I think it was Nelson Mandela that came up with this. It was something like nine levels of consciousness. And it was when he became president of South Africa. And since then, it's kind of just descended back to what it was. But obviously, there was going to be a massive divide between blacks versus whites. There already was, but it was going to be even more divisive once he was in. So he was just coming up with this concept of we're not going to be judging people anymore on skin colors because it's an instant identity Divider, which he knows would just tear the country apart, right? He was just talking about, I'm going to figure out this chart system that I'm going to start training people in. It was a beautiful idea. I don't know if it obviously didn't work out, but... And it was this idea of... 
how aware you are and how impactful you are as a person. So obviously at the very bottom was people in survival mode. That's the level of consciousness. So give you an example. Say you're one of those convicts in Tasmania that made a stint for it, went out into Tasmania, realized you don't have any food, and then you start killing each other. Mm. They're obviously in the first level because it's just pure survival at that point. The next level up from that, say that you have enough food, what you're looking for is protection from outside enemies. So then you go into tribal mode, right? And so that's like a low level of thinking. Then the next one after that, I think, is just to think that you're fucking incredible and then everybody else sucks then the next one after that is to start thinking about a higher order yeah the next one after that is to start thinking about kind of how you can materially impact the world i suppose that would be kind of your corporates the next one after that is kind of your hippies i suppose that look for all their faults they they and you know do they actually act it out but they do kind of have that kind of yeah man like it's not uh, it's not it's called the human race like they have those kind of, yeah, of understandings course. in life you know yeah. and then the next one after that i think i can't remember the last two but every time that i see <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> every time i see uh what happens on the internet now it's and, and it does make a lot of sense because you just look at the arguments of being being hurled back and forth. It is pure tribalism. Oh, yeah. There's no other layer of thinking there other than, and, and this is the other thing. So I think that it's like, it's a two-pronged thing. You're right that they definitely attach their identity to it and the tribe getting attacked is it a personal attack on them. But I also think that it taps into a survival instinct in the mind, but it's just a really pathetic version of that because mm. you're on the internet, mm. but it feels like your tribe is being attacked and that's a threat to you. Mm. It makes perfect sense that we would have evolved to uh, feel that way because a tribe would have f formed through shared ideas and, and shared ideas, yeah, common abstractions. And so when those ideas and abstractions are being attacked, it's not the ideas. That's not separate to the self. That's that's the tribe being attacked. Yeah. And so it, it, it really does make sense that we uh, have such a sort of uh, visceral and irrational uh, disdain for anyone who may be criticizing the ideas we espouse. And what I wanted to go into, touching on this sort of topic, is... The idea of gatekeeping certain ideologies. And what I mean by that, because gatekeeping is now a word that has come into our lexicon that is used more than I've ever heard. Uh, so gatekeeping basically means people who just sort of control who can actually be part of something. Or uh, if I'm gatekeeping comedy, I'm saying, oh, that person's not a real comedian. Or you, you know... To be a real, uh, for you to become a comedian, you have to do X, Y, Z. So that's gatekeeping. Mm. I'm reading just one of these broad books about sociology right now. So that's touching on a lot of the intellectual and academic ideas that many people would call woke today. And when you actually read the thought leaders of this field, Remarkable, very intelligent, nuanced, complex ideas that are worth exploring. Who are some of the thought leaders? Do you oh, remember? like so, Bell Hooks. Uh, another one is Kimberly Crenshaw. So I'm reading a lot about critical race theory and uh, sort of, you know, 
those two in particular, I've been reading a little bit about. Mm. This one I was reading about today that was really good. The person who came up with communitarianism. I've completely forgotten the name. It had like an Italian name. Mm. But anyway, this is the sort of language that would be associated with uh, woke people. And when you actually read the original texts, it's not something to be made fun of. Whether you agree with it or disagree with it is a separate it's question. But it's, it's very comprehensive and well thought out. Yeah. And so this is something I think I touched on a few podcasts ago as well. I couldn't help, couldn't help but feel it's, it's, it's similar to, say, conversing with a, a priest versus conversing with just like a, a redneck. Uh, you know, all gays are going to hell or whatever it is. And the dumbest person who represents an ideology or a tribe often becomes the standard bearer and the person who uh, is the mascot, if you will. So when attacking socialists, you know, how many people are actually attacking the ideas of the thought leaders of socialists? No, when I think of a socialist, I think of a blue-haired university student who can't do anything in their life and therefore and blames the system. Fat man on Twitch. Exactly. Yeah. And... So the comedian impulse in me is, all right, how can I make fun of socialists? Easily. I think about that stereotype. But similarly, how do I make fun of woke people? Well, I think about the stereotype and I categorize that in a way that I can present comedically. Uh, Is this a failure for thought leaders to actually gatekeep the ideologies that they've spawned? Because if... uh, there was some process of gatekeeping that were to occur with whatever whatever title you are permitted to give yourself. So let's say there was a socialist conference or something, but like the only people who can actually say they're socialists are people who have gone through this rigorous 10-year process of learning all the ideals of socialism, figuring out exactly how best to communicate it and how effectively they can communicate it online in the digital space. And then only then can you put socialist in your bio. Can you maybe wear a certain uniform or whatever it is. I I can't help but relate it to something like martial arts where to become a black belt, you have to go through a very rigorous process. You have to pass certain tests and only then can you become a black belt. And people only respect the black belts when they're wanting to learn the art. Uh, They're not going to listen to the white belt or the yellow belt. Similarly, why is it that... uh, uh, people will just listen to a university communist and say, oh, I guess that's what communism is. They're, they're so dumb, which most of them are, uh, but not actually engage with the ideas of Karl Marx. It's Fuck, they easier. are white belts. It's a first-year uni. You are a white belt. And both sides are doing this. Every side of the culture war, every, every side of politics is just attacking a straw man, almost always. I do it. I do it in my comedy. I've probably done it in this podcast as well. So I just couldn't help but feel if there's going to be an ideology moving forward and a lot of people now who I talk to tend to have this idea of, you know, I don't like labels. Why should I have labels? I want to think rationally about everything. I do feel like that in itself is becoming a tribe, the non-ideological tribe, mm. whatever you want to call it, mm. enlightened centric. I kind of like that. Uh, but uh, uh, It that, does encapsulate it, I've got to say. It becomes a tribe in itself because then you are irrationally attached to the idea that you don't want a label. So if anyone tries to stamp a label on you or if anyone uh, uh, suggests that you may actually be part of a certain 
group, you immediately, oh, no, 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 no. That's not my identity. I'm the, I'm the non-ideological person. And you actually become irrational in response to that. So I think it's just very human that we are going to be irrationally attached to some form of tribe, some something greater than the self that gives us meaning. Now, what that is and, and how well you know that is the question you should be asking. And also what you were just talking about with the Byzantine Empire, how can we best harness tribal competition in a large civilization to get the best out of ourselves and not destroy each other? That's a perfect example, that building the wall. It's so simple, but if you force them to compete, I mean, it's the same as sport, really. The, the teams hate each other, but it brings out the best. You could do something really similar with footy teams today, couldn't you? Well, it's essentially what they're doing. It's it's an arms race of who has the best processes, the best athletes, the best game plans, and they're constantly bettering each other to the to the point. That's the perfect example of competition harnessed effectively to bring out the best in in everyone. But like, if you gave every footy team a charity and said to their supporters, "Whoever does the most to advance." the wishes of this charity at the end wins like another like trophy yeah. or something like that at the end of every year. Could you imagine how productive that could turn out to be? There would be a wow. lot of behavioral psychologists that would know how to really juice that up today. I mean, that was a thousand years ago and some genius Praetorian figured it out. Spite and hatred are some of the most motivating emotions for any given human being. And don't you think that that's what, like if you saw just a little chart that was next to, I don't know, the footy stats that you looked up and it was just, I could see it now. The Manly Sea Eagles with all of their money, just chucking money at whatever their one is, just Red Nose Day or whatever. And it just goes up and up and up. Don't you think that like the Parramatta Eels would just be like, when the fucking Wedge Tails win this shit? They'd fucking start competing with it. Just seeing yeah. that bar. Yeah. Rather than bashing each other. You can still do both. Or you on social do... media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not, right? Because, well, the EPL teams, there's always uh, fights, apparently. Apparently, after every EPL game, the English uh, football fans, soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, they are very violent and very obsessed with either the national team or their uh, EPL team. And... Uh, Rates of this is actually very sad. Rates of domestic violence go up when England lose. You know, well, I mean, that's, violence that's goes up. Dark. That's that's sad. I mean, put yourself in the position of someone who so much of their emotional state depends on whether this team wins. It's just something completely out of their control. And I think again, this is this this is a tra- this is attractive to people who maybe feel like they don't have a lot of control in their life because then you can your success is determined based on what other people are doing. You just have to sit there and cheer at the screen and think that you've done something. I mean, I distinctly remember the 2018, I was at the uh, game two of New South Wales. They finally won Origin again. They had won in 2014, but uh, over the past 10 years or something, Queensland had won nine. Over the past 11 years, Queensland had won 10. And then at the end of the game, everyone starts shaking each other's hand saying, we did it, we did it. What the fuck did we do? We didn't do anything. I mean, maybe our cheering spurred a really tired player on to take an extra hit up maybe maybe that's a stretch but 
when you put your self-esteem and your self-worth into external factors, it's it's very rewarding when those external factors do pay off, whether it's a sport team winning or a, or a, a political party winning. I mean, as you were saying, it's very important to be politically aware and understand what's happening, but but you're, you're looking at the trend of the country, really. You, whoever wins an election, the, the day that election is won or lost, it's not going to dramatically change your life overnight. No, Christ, no. You're right. It's, it's an overall trajectory. It's a bit like praying to God. If you're sitting there saying, uh, you know, I need to, my team needs to win in order for me to feel good. And then you're saying at the end that we won. What really is the difference between that and somebody praying and then the prayer working out? It's a very similar pattern. It's just kind mm. of like a lower order of it. I think that praying to God actually would have more benefits psychologically. Mm. And you're right. Like it, it's just, a, it's it's a lower version of religion it's it's an interesting kind of loop of the same patterns and they can be as you're kind of saying there's ways to refine those and obviously mm-hmm. church is another one like that because it's constantly teaching people to be charitable and forgiving mm-hmm. and all these kind of good virtues whereas sport as you can say it's just did my team win mad if they didn't let's stab some cunts from the other guys like <laughs> afterwards you know like it's but it is it's actually um there's plenty plenty of violence in the name of religion as well plenty of well yeah because again you can use it to motivate things like the crusades yeah yeah but i think have you have you just because june's out have you watched slash read it no neil do yourself a favor yeah don't bother with the movie it's great but it's just it's a book that is too epic to ever be made into a good film a possible exception of that insane man from the seventies that tried to do it, but went in, in the seventies saying, I need a budget of a hundred million dollars. And they were like, there's not that much money on earth. Like, what do you No, <laughs> Get out. Okay. But his book that he wrote of all of the sketches that he did actually ended up being the seminal work for every science fiction film ever made. They just copied wow. all of what he did. But anyway, um, you do have to read the book and I recommend that everybody else out there reads it. Okay. I truly do think that that is the height of fictional work in the English language. It's, you would be a poorer man having not read it and dying. You know, like that, that is something that you really need to tick off of your to-do list because it's just, it's such an epic piece of work. Just, let's just put it this way. No movie can ever encapsulate how massive that book is and the ideas that are in it. And people spend entire PhDs and theses trying to break down what Frank Herbert was trying to say in it. And obviously there's open for interpretation of it. But what he's really talking about is he's just using science fiction, I suppose, as a metaphor of what humanity is like and just forwarding that out 10,000 years in the future or however long it is. I can't remember, but... It's just a nature, the nature of humanity. Religion plays a very big role in it. The ideas of prophecy, the ideas of, uh, you know, ritual holding people together. All of these ideas just emanate throughout all of his works. And almost this thing of uh, people evolving to simultaneously, which is really interesting that we're talking about this, simultaneously evolving 
to become heightened sensing beings because he's also he's created like this universe where he's just trying to explore humanity in its purest form i'll give you some mm-hmm. quick examples of it in the future there's no robots everybody has signed a pact not to create robots again because it was this massive robot war that humanity almost died in so everybody just said yeah let's not do that again and so they don't exist anymore um in warfare no bullets because everyone has these shields so you have to use swords so he's trying to make it as close to being a caveman as possible but in the future right so but people as a result of that have been evolving so there's people that are incredible calculators that can just remember huge amounts of information Mm. like a computer database can i suppose and then there's uh, a a tribe of uh, sorry like a, a religion that is kind of pushing people on to create these sort of extra century things of being able to see into the future and control other people's minds. And so that kind of stuff happens. Anyway, what's happening there is humanity has evolved so far into the future that they're colonizing space, obviously, and all that kind of stuff happens. But the fundamentals are still there in terms of politics, that feudal system that never really goes away of Mm. there being an aristocracy and an emperor over the top of them, that's still there, right? Uh, When it comes to that idea of ideology and tribalism spurring on these massive wars, that's still there, despite the fact that everybody has evolved to a point where they're just so much more intelligent than we are now, but that still exists, it just made me think of something I heard from a Coleman Hughes podcast where whether it's uh, today, but very recently, the person with the highest recorded IQ on earth is a major white nationalist. <laughs> and it it doesn't think, surprise me. Is it something you've said in a video before where uh, the more intelligent you are, the more you can just convince yourself that you're correct? Yeah. So I don't think intelligence correlates with a, uh, this kind of universal, universalist lack of tribalism. No, not at all. If anything, it just motivates you to... Uh, it's just a way of sort of f- rationalizing your ideas that hit your primitive base in a way that's so advanced. Because the thing is, I bet you if you talk to that guy, you'd probably walk out being a white nationalist. Like his ideas about why he would be the way he is would be so solid and concrete. Yes. And it'd be no way out of convincing him. Yes. And And he's thought through every little trap and maze that anyone could come at him with. Yeah. Because that's what intelligent people do. They don't rationally think about where... No, they do think about where I could be wrong and what I've heard that could act as a uh, disagreement or rebuttal to something I've said. And they think about every possible pathway to then rebut against that. Yeah, they would have thought about it in advance well, 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 well in advance. And they'd be thinking about it for years. Yes. So how do you compete? Yeah, you can't. So weaponized. Yeah. I mean, what do you do with it? That's the... Next question, if it's innately human to be tribal and to uh, uh, seek victory for the tribe or the ideology, how do you fight against that? Because in, I, I just can't help but feel this new emerging school of thought on the internet, the enlightened centrism, where, uh, oh, I'm not attached to a tribe, you know, both side, every side makes good points, which, look, I, I generally subscribe to, but... It's becoming a tribe in itself. There's no, there's no way these people are just 
more rational and enlightened than anyone else. They, they, they just have actually irrationally attached to them, attached themselves to the idea that they are not irrationally attached to anything. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a riddle. It's a maze. So, Probably I, I, the most dangerous place to be in, actually. Maybe, yeah. Maybe it's worthwhile just picking something and, and, and being a soldier for that. But I can't help but feel there needs to be... They're actually coming back to something I was saying before. I've just been thinking about this a lot over the last couple of weeks. It needs to be more gatekeeping for ideologies because it's just fodder for the other side to attack you when, when there are just idiots representing your ideas. And historically, there wasn't as much access to, to a mass media and a mass immediate media like social media. Uh, so quantity won over, over, over quality, right? So it, it just made sense for everyone to convert everyone to, say, Christianity because then the more adherence of that particular creed, the more power that creed has to continually spread itself. In the area of social media, quality wins out over quantity. If there are five people who have labeled themselves or who have the authority to label themselves as uh, arbiters of a given ideology, yet they are extraordinarily effective at expressing their ideology and presenting it in a way that's uh, meaningful and complex and attractive to everyone else because of social media there's no uh there's no limit to how far that can go out and how many people that can reach so so if there is to be a new ideology which i'm sure there will be there's every every couple of years there's something new that comes up but something major that comes up but there should be a process of very strict rigorous gatekeeping where to, to, to be able to articulate the ideas of the given ideology or reality, uh, there has to be some form of uh, other authority figures that have given their blessing to say, all right, you can talk about it or you can talk. And then everyone else who claims to be a part of that tribe is just disowned. No, nope, they're not really part of it. So only the, the best of the best. So that way it can't be straw man because only the most intelligent people. Like imagine if all these woke ideas were only ever expressed by the people who originally wrote them. Well, it wouldn't be the subject of so much scorn and mockery. The problem came when uh, insecure people uh, felt attracted to an ideology that gave them the purpose and, and the cause of fighting against injustice, but they bastardized it and they went into wherever they did into bureaucracies of the university or even now corporations and completely ruined the whole ideology and simplified it to this idiotic this this just idiotic notion of what it was supposed to be and i was Fuck. watching this interview this debate between i think it was cornell west judith butler and green greenwald it's really good it's on youtube and even judith but judith butler who who, who uh leading thinker yes a very a very much a leading thinker of, of modern feminism she said, look, I, we are living in a very anti-intellectual age. I still subscribe to the ideas I expressed in my books, but the people who are now avatars for what I've said don't necessarily represent me. I'm pretty sure Kimberly Crenshaw, who coined the term intersectionality, I believe, in the 90s, originally spoke about how uh, if you're a black woman who works at a bank, uh, you can't just understand that level of 
implicit bias from her being simply a woman or simply being black. There's this amplified level of discrimination that comes with it. And it's the analogy was, you know, in, in, in a car intersection, even she said, yeah, look, the way my ideas have been presented, don't quote me on this. If I'm wrong about this, tell me in the comments, but I'm, I'm relatively sure both those people have said, look, often the way my ideas have been represented in either mass media or uh, in various bureaucracies, as well-intentioned as the people who are uh, expressing them may be, they haven't done it justice. And imagine that. Imagine you've sort of thought for decades about a certain topic. You've got these really nuanced, comprehensive ideas about whatever it may be, philosophy, politics. You write volumes uh, of texts and, and then some, you know, a group of 18-year-old university students who are just so dumb presented in a way that makes everyone hate the ideas. How pissed off would you be? I mean, that would, that would be the worst. That's what happens. It was, yeah, it's so what happens with every ideology. Well, almost every creed or tribal ideology. There's just dumb people that ruin it. I mean, it's our it job as comedians. It's our job as comedians to find those stereotypes and mock that. And it, it's almost a way of sort of humbling a, a, a given ideology when it gets too cocky, if you will, or like it hasn't been gatekept enough. So the, the comedians of the 90s were always going after Christianity, lampooning it constantly. And that made sense because in the 90s, there was this sort of resurgence of Christianity, particularly in America and... Uh, it was definitely fodder to be made fun of. And now every comedian goes after woke people. But again, no one's, no one's, when you simplify the ideas to a point where it's very easy to mock, it gives you a certain sense of self-righteousness. But really, you, you, you're attacking a straw man. Comedians are almost always attacking a straw man and everyone online is attacking a straw man. I mean, I, I'll do, I do it and I continue, I will continue to do it because it's my job. And you have to in comedy. And I enjoy doing that as well. But doing podcasts like this has made me think a lot more deeper about, I think, I, I think every, not just me, but every human is inclined to just simplify opposing ideas because that makes them far easier to critique and attack. And I think you actually have to actively fight against that and seek out People say, oh, listen to both sides. It's not about listening to both sides. Listen to the best possible version of the other side. Mm. I'm doing the best. Mm, 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 mm. The problem is, though, if you started a, a, a black belt system, how do you get to decide who gets to level up? I will, one of them should be like the, the efficacy of, how, of their communication online. So if they're, if they're uh, good at communicating the ideas online and they're not pissing too many people off and they're bringing people to the tribe. So how convincing they are. Yeah, how convincing they are. That should be one. So how really, well actually, they know. see, what happens then is you start weaponizing psychological tricks, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, look, there's no perfect way to uh, gatekeep something like this. But I really like the idea. It's just, it'd be so much harder to... Um, come up with a system than saying karate which i'm assuming is just like can you do a triple kick or something like that you know like mm. it's it's because it's all in the mind yeah true 
True. Uh, but it's a really it's 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 like it it would be such an advancement if you could come up with something that's even organizing and decent. I suppose it's kind of just like codifying the law system. It's not perfect, but it's just such a better, ex- you know, than yeah. what was before. And I mean, look, even in religion, there are priests and imams and, and people who have authority who you would go to to hear the best version of those ideas. But there's nothing stopping just your casual churchgoer to, to talk about those same ideas. And that's what pisses people off, in fact. But so, it's interesting because it again goes back to this thing. This is, again, what June touches on a lot, right? Like Pope Benedict mm. and Pope Francis are obviously both extremely educated men on Catholicism. Yeah. They would be so unbelievably learned and any atheist that sits there and derides those men, you just, you, you don't have the authority, right? <laughs> like, like the yeah, Pope would obviously be so unbelievably intelligent about their religion, but their views on Catholicism were so different. But they were both... Yeah, okay. They, they would have both in between the multiple PhDs on the subject. Sure, sure. So uh, it would be impossible to gatekeep something that is up to that much interpretation and has the potential to go in different directions. Is that... I don't know. It's just this really... I guess that's what's really interesting about June. It's just this thing of like, okay. no matter how educated you get, there's always going to be an interpretation of it and, and like... As a result of that, you will be able to corral uh, more and more perfect zealots the more educated and advanced you get in your ideology and justifying it. And you will be able to make, you know, really advanced shock troops as a result of that. That is going to always be the to and fro of it. And the other thing while you were talking about all of that that really stuck out at me that I just realized, holy fuck, he's right. I know people have always said this, but it never actually clicked to me until you said that this wokeism is a religion and it is just infecting every institution that we know. Like it is well and truly entrenched in bureaucracy, well and truly entrenched in the corporate world. And what are the effects of that? It's really weird because there is this dogmatic argument where they kind of just come back to you like with the nicole flint stuff at the moment right like i know for a fact that no matter what i say her and her followers are going to come back with responses that are just going to be nothing but pure dogmatism but that exists now in every facet of western culture it's non-falsifiable. It's it's uh, great people to listen to. John McWhorter, everyone who's interested in this, go and listen to that man. He's got a new book out. I've got to read it. I haven't read it yet. Coleman Hughes, someone I've talked about a lot on this podcast. Go listen to him. These guys are brilliant. Their analysis of uh, this new religion is uh, it's second to none. Yeah. And it, it, it is truly non-falsifiable because if I say what's – you said was racist or I, I felt that uh, a given situation was racist. Well, there's no way of disproving that. It's the same as someone saying, you know, I, I know G- Jesus is real because I can feel him in my heart. Well, okay. You, you, there's no, it's, it's, it's a claim that can't, can neither be proven or disproven. So when you are talking to, yeah, like, look, from what I've seen from her responses, you, no one's ever going to 
she's got her ideas of <laughs> what you are, yeah. what is being said, and and, that, and that's it. You can't. It would be impossible to try and uh, contend with that. I think the best way for people to actually come to some form of realization that this has cult-like elements is when a, f- a more extreme version of it is uh, brought towards them. So if you've lived a woke life for a certain amount of time, but then someone who's even more woke comes at you and starts attacking you, saying you're not as pure as I am, and suddenly that your identity of being the, the compassionate one is suddenly under attack, that's when the realization hits you. But if you're not woke and you're trying to argue with someone, it's just, just there's just no point. You can't. You you literally cannot get through to them. But you know what else as well? Like when someone comes at them and then says you're not as woke as me, what really I think happens is that they just start thinking you're not as woke as me in that area. I really think that there is somebody that actually sits back and thinks, okay, maybe there's something wrong with the entire premise. They're just kind of like, that person was a nut in that area. But the general concept of wokeism is fine. And they'll probably continue on with it. Sometimes. The other thing that might happen is they might flip and go the other way, which is what, yeah. you know, the, the, the classic endless amount of women on Sky News that come out just being like, I was a feminist, never again. And they just go the other end of the pendulum, you yeah. know. But like yeah. everybody still is stuck in that same to and fro yeah, well, they're in a... Uh, it's just a low state of consciousness. That's what it is. In a toxic relationship with an ideology, whether it's this ideology or that ideology, they're lacking some form of psychological necessities in their life. And as a result, they're latching onto uh, things and abstractions that give their life meaning, regardless of whether uh, whichever side of the culture war that may be on. It's really weird. Have you thought about what it would be like to be one of those people? What would your day be full of? Uh, well, there'd be a lot of Twitter. There'd be a lot of Twitter, just social media in general. There'd be heaps of social media. So obviously, like I'm first off, you'd be course. completely uh, devoid of any dopamine or serotonin levels. Oh, sorry, huge amounts of dopamine, very little serotonin. Sure. You'd just be constantly drained. You'd be constantly seeing negative shit fights unfurl in front of you of really stupid arguments that would just lower yeah. you. Well, you would feel oh, like it's your God. duty to to get involved and, and to educate people because you think that marginalized communities depend on your advocacy. And so you have a, a very noble cause in your mind that you're fighting for. And so regardless of whatever whatever suffering it may uh, cause within you, it's a very worthwhile suffering because it's a suffering that's bringing up oppressed people. Isn't so that interesting? But everyone has some sort of a cause that they're fighting for. I don't, I don't think, I don't think thinking of we want to call woke people as as a different species or something is worthwhile. I think it's actually there's a bit of that in everyone. We're all irrationally attached to something that we're trying to uh, fight for. But actually, is everyone? Say Spanion, okay. for instance. Spanion wasn't fighting for anything. I mean, I don't, I, I'd have to 
get to know him personally. But yeah, maybe maybe you're right. Now he probably is, but when he was just a little hood rat, he was pretty much just stealing shit. Yeah, okay, well, that <laughs> that's sense, not real. Yeah, 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 probably just living for himself there. But uh, do you think we've developed a new tribe of online comedians? that have an irrational hatred towards what you would call mainstream comedians. Because I do, I can't help it. I love getting in the bitch session, but I can't help but feel, not just with you, but with anyone from our ilk, we tend to be uh, quite vociferous in our disdain for our mainstream comedy. And I can't help but feel we've developed this sort of pseudo tribe based around our shared experience of uh, being a, a new age digital comedian or not just me. Cause you know, you know, something I love crystal and saga, but they're constantly going on about mainstream media. CNN said ends. this, yeah. and then right at the end of their thing, they say, ah, uh, oh, and so, you, you know, you want to stick it a big F you to mainstream or whatever, a big screw you to mainstream media. And I can't help but feel, look, you guys have now have this enemy. You are all part of this tribe. This is almost this weird alliance between anyone who's online, regardless of whatever side of politics they're on mm. in America. Mm. And it has unifying principles. It brings people together. There's nothing like a common enemy. And if you feel like you've been hard done by, which is something that many uh, uh, fervent causes in in pursuit of an ideological aims have in common. There's always this element of like, we've been hard done by. And maybe that's just very human. Every, everyone who might not be, and, and maybe then that's a, that's a cause because there's this sort of collective angst among such a large portion of the population. It's just a symptom of a, of a, it sounds very woke, but of a system that isn't working. Of a system that's not giving people meaning, and we've created so much wealth, but uh, people are just lacking in basic psychological health. And uh, this this modern political divide and this tribalism is a symptom of a greater societal problem. It's definitely it's so inextricably tied in. It's like what we were saying at the beginning of this. It's definitely tied into. Social media, as we know it, has only existed for 10 years. And actually, my editor pointed this out. Mm. It gets, because you have some of the most brilliant minds on earth figuring out constantly how to make it more addictive, you slide into it more and more every year. In fact, uh, I was talking to a long-lost friend of mine who has a bunch of Gen Z housemates, and they were saying that their entire life, because we kind of existed in the social media realm, but things like very simple things like she'll make a Facebook status or something and the sheer horror on the faces of the 21-year-olds because they've become so savvy to it but also so addicted. And the other thing as well is that they just can't remember anything that goes in front of them because it's just too fast. Your brain actually isn't really absorbing anything. But their entire life is just sucked into this now. It's a, it's a level that we just – it's getting to that meth level, you know, like – our generation was just not addicted to social media like Gen Z is. So the next generation after that is going to be more so. That is the thing that I suppose is the new element to all of this tribalism and how that plays out. Who the fuck knows? This is really early into the experiment. That's the difference. 
That's the huge technological difference. And I think is what you're saying is the one thing that we are definitely noticing here is it completely strips your self-esteem away completely so it just sticks you at that low level of consciousness that we were talking about before of maybe one up from survivalism just pure tribalism because where else are you going to go if you have nothing else left in your brain to lift you out of that yeah you're going to be caught there this is anecdotal but uh in the in the early days of facebook and instagram which wasn't even that long ago what eight years ago the people who seemed to spend more time on it were people who weren't doing that well in other areas of their life. And when I say weren't doing that well, I mean, they weren't particularly popular. They weren't successful at dating. They weren't particularly intelligent. Or they were, you know, they were reasonably intelligent, but they weren't uh, an outlier by any means. And so this was a sort of panacea to all that, that this, this, this uh this is this social media ameliorated all their uh stresses temporarily because they can put their self worth into something other than what they were previously doing, which wasn't working for them, and instead your self worth comes in from how oh how many likes did I get? how many followers do I have? Is what I've posted are my ideas being re- received positively? Hey, look, I, I mean, I'm not, I did that. That's, that's how I got started. So we, you know, we, we have a career on social media, so we can't avoid it entirely. But uh, no, we always have to make that proviso. It's it's definitely has its benefits, but my God, at what cost? And the people at on Twitter cost? as well. The people who are like particularly active on Twitter, which seems to be the the political and media class in Australia more than anyone else. Politicians and journalists are the most active on Twitter. Hey, go to the go to the job site. How many people have a fucking Twitter account? That's oh. an interesting question. They've got Instagram. They're 1%? looking at they're looking at babes on Instagram, but they're not got a they don't, they don't they're have Twitter, but they've Twitter. got opinions. I'm sure they've got opinions. They're not expressing them on that, which really is just an entire Facebook update channel. That's it's just like they've gotten rid of everything else and just been like, this is just Facebook updates. So it's like, yeah. And, and that's the whole thing. It's amazing as well because you see that it's really infested the boomer class now, right? Your Annabelle Krabs, your Lee Sales, obsessed with Twitter, and you see how quivering and low self-esteem these people are and they're supposed to be the people that guide democracy. They're and the elites, aren't they? They're the elites. And they're insecure. Unbelievably insecure. Everything's a insecure. personal attack. Everything. You don't read the comments. That's the, that's the first, especially Twitter. Do not read tweets where people have added you. It's true voodoo magic, isn't it? It's, it's just like it only hurts you if you believe in it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's really interesting that you're bringing this up, Neil. I do like it a lot. Thinking about likewise. this a lot is because it is. It's just so close to humanity. And the only thing that changes is technology. And so it's just like this interesting, constant dividing rift of what happens between us. Mm. And we are really seeing it, just that those two generational shifts, it would have to be something that obviously has never been repeated in the history of humanity before. I guess concluding 
piece of advice that I would give is it's very easy in the same way a lot of people have attached themselves to whatever ideology or religion or creed that gives their life meaning. It's very easy then to absolve yourself of any uh, wrongdoing or uh, faults and, and, and see all the faults with society and the world and everything wrong in your life as external factors. It's the system. It's uh, the, the right-wingers, it's the left-wingers, it's the, the capitalists, it's the socialists, whatever it may be. And even in this new emerging enlightened centrist tribe, well, where's the enemy? It's still external. It's all the people who are attaching themselves to an ideology and are being tribal. No, I, I think the key is to look inwards and to ask yourself, where am I exhibiting tribalism? Where am I uh, being irrational? Because once you ask that question, once you actually ruminate on that, you, 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 you'll see you know, myriad things that you're not being uh, obviously rational about. Like I just mentioned, I can't help but feel there may be a new tribe forming of like these online comedians going after the mainstream comedians or mainstream journalists in the same way they're coming after digital media because that's a, that's a big threat for them. Uh, similarly, I, I definitely think, you know, doing the sex sales podcast being just a man or, or a woman, these are tribes that we're now irrationally attached to. And I can definitely feel myself getting emotional when I'm either defending online comedians or, uh, or men because <laughs> I'm a sexist. Um, so uh, I would say, yeah, look, look inwards and, and, and don't just look externally and, and think that the problem of tribalism is out there. It, it, it's find the evil within. It'd be interesting actually as an exercise to sit there and think about what tribes you belong to. You would know. You mm. would know. Mm. Be good exercise. Just so you know what you're attaching to. And you know what else would be really interesting? You should probably start getting deep. Why are you attached to Ooh, them? Because yeah. then you'd start linking it to your values. And your life experiences. And yeah, it's a, I think that's a good exercise. I think, uh, I think we'll wrap this one up there. Uh, thank you for the question. If you'd like to ask a question, neilkarlhacker.com slash podcasts or a shout out. Uh, see my show every week in Sydney. We're running through uh, the new year break. So uh, we're doing the 23rd of December and the 30th of December. So uh, if you've got, you got no family, <laughs> come see us. Rock we'll be up. Your family. Um, and monthly shows in Melbourne for me. Jordan's still on tour as well. So uh, I think you've got Newcastle and Wollongong and Sydney. All the those New South the Wales dates. Yep. Yeah, so uh, if you live in any of those cities, go see Jordan. From what I heard, you sold out three shows at the Comics Lounge and it was a, you got a rock star response. Killing it, man. Good stuff. From Nick Beards, but yeah. <laughs> well. You may as well a, be Comic-Con. Groupies are groupies, man. Is <laughs> uh, thank but you. isn't that the exact opposite of what you want? You want hot women, I get fat men. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for buying tickets. Um, and I'll see you next week, kids. <laughs> see you next time. <laughs>